Hey y'all, this is Sarah with Midnight Theology. Thanks for taking some time to listen in on this latest episode. Um, Fun fact, I'm actually not able to be on today's episode and I'm truly bummed out about it. But I asked the guys to tackle a very specific subject in my absence. That is one very close to my heart, women in ministry. I know it might seem strange that I would choose for them to cover a topic that's so vital to me and to our belief when I'm not there to give voice to women and to help represent that. But I promise uh, that I asked them to on purpose because I believe there is meaning and significance in men becoming advocates for women in ministry. Now, they shouldn't have to be, right? We should be so already uh, adopting um, this belief that we shouldn't need them uh, to be advocates for it. Um, And in many ways, we don't need them to be. We can fight our own battles. Um, But we also uh, experience the fullness of the kingdom when men cheer women on in the calls that God has placed on their lives. I have been a direct benefactor of that. Uh, Clergymen and Christian men who didn't see me for my gender, but just saw the call of God in my life and threw open the the doors and uh, created opportunity for me and made connections and never questioned my gender in the process because they so deeply believed that God calls women too. So I figure in men speaking to this issue, it actually uh, helps create a positive sort of power and energy when men become people who give voice and advocate and create justice and see beyond gender to call into ministry and potential. And that's what I want this episode to be. Uh, As an aside, um, I also recognize that it's not very helpful for me to try to change people's minds who may struggle with believing that I should be speaking to the matter at all. And quite frankly, I would rather them explain it than me waste my time on it, which sounds awful. But I think if you're in my shoes, you would know what I mean, that I would rather focus on what God is doing through ministry than trying to explain my ministry. So I'll leave them to do that for me. Um, And I think what they will represent is a long Methodist Wesleyan heritage that believes in women in ministry and an even longer standing tradition of women in ministry in our Christian tradition. So whether you're a skeptic or whether you're all in, I hope today's conversation helps put some tools in your belt, so to speak, about why we believe what we believe, why it's so important, and why it reflects the kingdom of God. And um, I always reserve the right uh, to address anything I don't like in the next episode. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Hope you enjoy what they have to offer today. And thanks for listening to Midnight Theology. Hey, we're back. After a brief hiatus, welcome back to Midnight Theology, the podcast of four pastor friends where we talk all things Christianity, leadership, culture, and life as they relate to the Wesleyan Methodist movement. I'm your host, Larry Frank, and as always, I'm joined by Gabe Wank. Hello. Adam Penn. Howdy. And Dr. Sarah has the month off. This month, we're taking a dive into the topic of women in leadership from a Wesleyan perspective. 
which should be interesting since the one woman in our group isn't here, but we're going to give it a whirl. So get ready to clutch those pearls. Midnight Theology is a go. So first, uh, since we've taken a couple months off, uh, just a moment for updates. Uh, it's been a couple of months since we've been on here. So what's going on in the penthouse? Hmm, the penthouse is wrapping up vacations minus one that's about to happen down to Cape Coral, Florida, where we will be visiting the Franks and their new place. So that's uh, coming up next weekend. But other than that, we've been to Disney. Uh, Jessica and I have taken a kidless trip to Lake of the Ozarks. And Mm -hmm. so we're on the on-ramp to the school year, but we got one last hurrah with the Franks before school starts. So it's been a good summer. Nice. What about the Wanks? Very nice. Wanks have been, uh, we've been everywhere, man. I've been uh, over the road trucking. We went out to Pennsylvania to see family, uh, celebrated three, four birthdays, two funerals uh, the same week. it was a weird week of emotions of just joy and sadness, celebration of, of good long lives lived, um, but just, yeah, lots of emotions. But it's a, it's a good 900-mile trip each way, uh, so that's been uh, a piece of it. Uh, in addition to that, uh, moving the Franks down to Cape Coral was uh, an, a great adventure for the Wanks. Uh, got to do a little... Uh, tandem driving and uh, setting up the house um, it's part of the grieving process of transition and change uh, but uh, it's exciting to see you guys getting reestablished uh, down in the uh, well I'm not going to call it the Everglades because well we all know how Larry feels about crocodiles. We ain't that far <laughs> south and it's alligators bro. <laughs> So yeah, we're uh, we had 75 days of summer to start with. School is approaching quickly. Uh, Our <laughs> August 8th. Um, oh I don't wow! Even talk about you it. guys are starting early. Yeah, okay. we start early because we end early. We end early. We're okay. uh, we're, yeah, we end we're August the 10th, but I haven't figured out if that's normal or if they're still making up from the hurricane. Hmm. Uh, oh, their their yeah. Christmas break doesn't start till December 23rd. Oh my! Uh, and that that is Hurricane Makeup Day. I know that for for certain. But huh? Okay. So yeah. Uh, well. So yeah. The f- what about you, Franks? The Franks are in Southwest Florida. We're adjusting to uh, to life uh, away from all of you. Um, but uh, we said a a fond and tearful farewell to the folks in Tremont, uh, and then headed this way. And I've been. Uh, a month now, uh, serving at uh, Grace Church as one of the pastors, and we're just in this great season of trying new things. It's a great church, but we're um, we're in the midst of a lot of transition, um, not least of which is uh, hurricane damage on all of our campuses. Um, so by the time all of that gets done, it's going to be like having three new campuses, which is exciting. Um, wow. But uh, the lead pastor of 27 years, George Acevedo, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, uh, will be retiring from pastoral ministry um, at the end of August. So there's just lots of transition there with uh, uh, with Pastor Wes moving into to lead pastor, with me coming. I was trying to bring all three campuses closer together. Um, so uh, I get to hang out at the main campus uh, during the week. Um, 
And uh, sometimes on weekends, most of the time, I'm over at the Central Campus on uh, weekends, though. Uh, and Central is just a whole new world from anything I've ever experienced in, in ministry in a really good way, in a really eye-opening way. Um, it's just a couple of blocks from the downtown area of Fort Myers where you have the Edison Ford vacation homes, very upscale areas, lots of great dining, um, things to do. And then just a couple of blocks away is the central campus, uh, which is in the midst of a high poverty, high homeless population, um, uh, huge culture of addiction uh, down there. We're right in the middle of that. I mean, when I show up uh, at the campus down there, there's always uh, homeless folks hanging out, um, around the building um, and a huge, re- huge recovery ministry there. Um, and it's just, it's been really eye-opening, uh, but really, really exciting. We're doing, we're doing ministry that really, really matters um, to the point that we can say that, that lives are being saved, uh, physically saved uh, through the ministry wow. that we're doing. So it's, uh, it's an exciting thing. It's, uh, it's a lot of adjustment though. So uh, it's good to be back with you all and having some normalcy doing Midnight Theology. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have you back. No, for sure. So, women in ministry leadership. To quote N.T. Wright, are we still having this debate? <laughs> well, yeah, we are. Because uh, apparently, uh, back in June, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest Protestant denomination in the United States, uh, and second largest denomination, period, second only to the Roman Catholic Church voted overwhelmingly to reaffirm their teaching that the office of pastor or elder can only be held by a qualified man. So in doing so, they actually expelled two churches from their fellowship, including a California megachurch. Maybe you've heard of it, Saddleback, pastored by Rick Warren for many, many years. Purpose-driven life. Yeah, purpose-driven life. I think he's moved into retirement now, but still has a fairly active role there. Uh, They had ordained a woman as one of their campus pastors. Um, So they were put on um, like some kind of like trial um, warning thing, whatever. Now they've been expelled. They're not a part of the Southern Baptist Church anymore. And there was also a smaller church in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, where Linda Popham had served as their pastor for over three decades how often do pastors get to get to say that they've been somewhere for three decades, and then not if you're United Methodist, and, and then it comes up that suddenly you're not qualified? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and wow. to be shown the door, unbelievable. Yeah. So she still gets to be the pastor there. Um, they they are no longer part of the denomination um, either. So while this seems to be a settled issue in most Wesleyan circles, uh, and I say most because that's not true everywhere. Um, women still face a huge struggle and a glass ceiling when it comes to serving in ministry and honoring their call. So I, I thought we'd uh, just start by sharing our own experience um, with women clergy. And I'm talking prior to being a pastor, especially if, if you had um, someone who, uh, a, a female pastor who shaped you and your, uh, your call. And, and then maybe we can speak a bit about what we've observed in our own ministries um, and then we can kind of dive into the continuing debate and the scriptures and things like that. How's that? So uh, anybody have um, a, a, a pastor who happened to be a woman who, who impacted your life and your call? Uh, me personally, yeah. my call to ministry was deeply shaped by a female clergy person. 
and fostered by a female clergy person. Um, so my the, the pastor of my home church uh, was a man, and really, you know, his role in kind of God using all of these people who kind of brought me into this this fold of pastoral ministry was simply to sit me down to lunch and tell me he saw gifts for pastoral ministry in me um, and obviously continue to kind of support me past that point. Um, but my understanding of the office of pastor and the work of a pastor was deeply shaped in my first ministry job, which was at East Peoria First United Methodist Church, uh, which was pastored by Mary Arnold. Um, and she was so wonderful to kind of show me the ropes and allow me to practice uh, some of the, the functions of pastoral ministry. She, she let me preach. Uh, she let me go to hospital visits. She would sit with me and talk with me about pastoral ministry. Um, and if it wasn't for her, I would have never considered Dubuque Theological Seminary, which is where I wound up going to seminary. Um, so wow. it was her, you know, she was a Dubuque alum. She, she brought me, um, uh, and, and showed me around campus. Um, and, uh, just so happened that that was where God wanted me to go. Um, so if it weren't for her, so, you know, so much of my early years of formation, as a pastor, um, to be would not have, have happened the way they did. And so I'm very grateful for Mary and her ministry. I have to echo that, uh, Adam, I got to work with Mary for a couple of years following yeah, you in your footsteps. Uh, you had my a office of years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Took it over. And now I took your yeah. office over. Wow. <laughs> I love it. A, I love it. That's crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's just, it's a good thing you just got back from Disney because, uh, you know, it's a small world. No, no, no. <laughs> um, wow. But yeah, Mary Arnold was, um, sh she's a very special uh, pastor, a special woman, a woman of God. Um, working with her was uh, was wonderful. I, I grew up um, with my own Mary Arnold, uh, Judith Marie Powell uh, Wank, uh, my, my mother. Uh, she became my mother when I was 10, going on 11, and uh, kind of my stepmom. But she's my mother of heart. She's a spiritual mother. Uh, she grew up in the Wesleyan Church uh, in southern Ohio, where uh, they did not allow women to wear pants, nor go to the movies nor play cards. They didn't allow anybody to play cards or go to the movies, but the pants thing, uh, I have, still haven't found the scripture on that one. Uh, but she grew up very Southern holiness uh, in that tradition. She went to Circleville Bible College, ended up at Asbury, graduating in the early 80s from Asbury Theological Seminary, where at the time, the Wesleyan Church didn't ordain women uh, in this uh, uh, in this time frame, but they did allow them to teach children and youth and uh, run preschools, daycares, that sort of thing. So when she became my mom, she was in her own right uh, one of the uh, emerging youth ministers uh, of the day in the 80s, 90s. And when they got married, mom and dad. She kind of transitioned from the Wesleyan Church to the United Methodist Church and went through the process of becoming a deacon and then an elder, uh, as we used to ordain uh, in that 
uh, order back in the 80s and early 90s. So she was quite influential. And thinking back on those who shaped my spiritual life, uh, you know, father uh, and some other men, but probably more women on the list than men shaped my spiritual life, uh, talked to me about Jesus, talked to me about the Lord, my relationship with God, uh, encouraged me in, in many ways. Um, yeah, there was, there was definitely a, more of a vacuum, I think, with some of the male leadership in, in spiritual development in, in my experience, which is interesting. Uh, just, I haven't thought about that particularly. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So I had to really uh, wrestle with this issue when I went to college, uh, 1994 to 98, up at Houghton College, it's a Wesleyan school, Christian liberal arts, 1,200 students in the student body. You would think that it would be quite normal, uh, women in ministry, coming from my background to the degree that uh, I was coming up, knowing that Catholics and Baptists and others did not have that same idea. Um, but the pr Protestant church uh, at large, there was, you know, uh, more openness there, um, but Houghton College had almost a, a majority students coming from the Baptist tradition, and that Calvinistic understanding of um, not egalitarian but complementarian, where there's there's a role, there's a submissiveness to the nature of uh, the gender of woman, and there's kind of a, a ceiling that they can get to, and they can't pass that ceiling. And I really struggled through college to wrestle with the scriptures, to wrestle with uh, the spirit of God and the calling upon all of God's people into uh, sharing the good news. Uh, and for a time, I had to kind of cloister myself in, into the books and maybe away from mom and dad and just um, let, let there be some settling in my spirit and convictions and knowledge and did a lot of discussion, a lot of deep dive, a lot of face-to-face -face with folks that were... Um, steeped in other traditions uh, and it was quite eye-opening for me and I came down obviously on the side of uh, this is this is what I believe I'm firm in this belief uh, it is a strong conviction and I think the scriptures speak quite clearly to it um, obviously marrying uh, a woman in ministry and, and uh, coming into the place we are in now in our in our lives and marriage coming up on 20 years y'all 20 years. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, you don't just believe yeah. it, you embody it. <laughs> it's not not <laughs> a just bit, a conviction a in your mind. <laughs> it, no, it's not just some ethereal thought and belief. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's tangible, quite yeah. tangible. Yeah. Yeah, so my How about you, Larry? My my first pastor was a woman. So I I never had this um I never had to have the wrestling until like you gave I went off to um undergraduate school at uh, Lincoln Christian College. Um, where uh, in my cohort, uh, the preaching majors, um, was the first time that there was a woman uh, in the preaching degree program. Um, and that would have never been allowed before, but now she was allowed in the program. But there was always this, well, you can't actually be a pastor. Um, but it was pretty settled for me. You know, I went to, went to a week of church camp, um, became a follower of Jesus, and immediately started attending um, the Methodist church up the street and the pastor there happened to be a woman. So I didn't know any, any better. And if it wasn't for pastor Pam, uh, I don't know that I would have stuck it out uh, in a lot of ways. Cause I was just this baby Christian who came back on a spiritual high from a week of camp who knew nothing about discipleship and the spiritual disciplines and uh, what was next in pursuing my call. 
Uh, and Pam was great about that. Um, uh, like you said, Adam, uh, about going to Dubuque, I wouldn't have ended up at Asbury if it wasn't for Pam. Uh, she mm-hmm. was a, she was a graduate of Asbury, and you know Asbury's not one of the official United Methodist seminaries. So when I um, requested information, I got information on all the official seminaries, um, and uh, I think Dubuque was one of them. I was planning on uh, checking out, and she just she took a sharpie marker and wrote on the brochure Asbury Seminary and the website, and then circled it. And she said, "Ignore everything else." Uh, and, <laughs> um, so she was great in that. And then um, we were a small church, and uh, we did a lot of cluster things back then. For those that aren't up on. Uh, rural Methodist language, a cluster is a group of churches that get together to do ministry together. Um, so we did our confirmation classes joint with uh, another nearby uh, local church. Um, and the pastor there uh, was just finishing up seminary. Her name was Donna Blythe. Um, and uh, she's a retired pastor in the in the Illinois um, Great Rivers Conference now. Uh, in the same way, she really invested in me. Uh, when I started serving on Chrysalis and walked to Emmaus weekends, it seemed like uh, Pastor Donna was always there encouraging me. And, and what was great about her is she didn't mind telling me when I was wrong about something. Um, mm. Where she could be so loving and encouraging, but she could also say, that was a really stupid thing, and you should not do that stupid thing again. Um, so <laughs> w- without without those, those two women... Um, I don't know. And then uh, I don't know what she said, but I know when I was ordained and we have that opportunity for uh, people to stand and speak on behalf of uh, those to be ordained, um, that uh, Pastor Donna was one of those that that spoke uh, for me. And that meant a lot after all these years that she popped up out of her seat that quick and uh, and affirmed and encouraged my, my ministry. So without Pam and Donna, um, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. So what about since we've been in ministry? I mean, Gabe, you've had a front row seat to this, being married uh, to uh, mm-hmm. a pastor who happens to be a woman. I like that language better because I think we, we, we unnecessarily identify, you know, we, we make it more of an issue when we say female pastor, male pastor, because uh, we don't say male pastor. We say a pastor, and then we qualify female pastor. So I like a pastor yeah. who happens to be a woman. Are. Yeah. Um, so you, you're, you're married to another pastor who happens to be a woman. Uh, you've had a front row seat to that. We've all had a, f- a front row seat with doing ministry with, um, with women in our world. Uh, I've had two associate pastors um, who, who were women, um, and especially over the last uh, couple of years, watching Jackie Young develop uh, her call while I was still at Tremont. Uh, it was her first appointment. Um, and just watching her come alive and become... Uh, Pastor Jackie, um, uh, in, in a way that um, that people really needed, uh, and our gifts complemented each other in in a very holy uh, way. Uh, and I'll I'll forever be grateful for um, spending time in ministry with her. Um, now at Grace Church, we're we're egalitarian. We have um, we have w- women pastors uh, on staff. We have women in leadership all throughout the church. And now as an independent church, we are our own ordaining body. So on July 30th, uh, I got to do something brand new, uh, for, for me. Uh, I got to go out to one of our campuses and ordain their campus pastor, uh, Sherry Lacey. Uh, I got to be a part of, uh, ordaining her as an, el- wow. an elder in our group. Um, so, uh, you're, you're listening 
dear listeners, to a group of men who, who really believe what we're saying about this. But So those are my kind of um, positive experiences of working with, uh, with women in, in leadership. What about you guys? Before we go any further, um, I think since you mentioned that we're a group of men talking about women in ministry, we are doing this with Sarah's blessing, uh, who when we figured out she could not join us today, encouraged us to have this conversation in her absence uh, since it's helpful for people to hear these sorts of conversations from men. So th- this is the the MNT boys coming to you uh, with uh, <laughs> with this, this conversation um, with Sarah's blessing in her absence. So the, the, just a little quick disclaimer there. The boys. Well, the boys. And maybe a, a, the boys. And uh, let me be the let me be the first to I don't know apologize or for myself. Um, just in the nature of this topic has been uh, forefront uh, in 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 part of the faith development uh, for me of understanding who God is, who God's people are, what trying to understand what God is up to within the world, pouring out of the Holy Spirit all throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and continually from the birth of the church in Acts and Pentecost. And from a very young age, uh, very formative time, age 11 forward, wrestling with the fact that you know, it wasn't in my consciousness prior to having a mother who was then now in ministry, starting in youth ministry, children's ministry, and then as an associate pastor of a large church, it was in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, everybody knows Scranton now because of The Office, one of our favorite shows, right? Uh, but she was she was the associate pastor at Elm Park United Methodist Church, uh, just down the hill from the Jesuit school uh, in Scranton uh, University. University of Scranton, I think. Uh, was she it taught- just up the hill from Dunder Mifflin Paper Company? It truly was actually just around the corner uh, from the the Steamtown uh, Steamtown Mall. Uh, oh, there's, there's the an Xerox. actual Steamtown Mall. Oh yeah, that makes me oh, so yeah. happy. All right, sorry, I yeah, didn't man. mean to pull you off. His, his, his little, his there, little office nerd heart just exploded. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> I mean, I grew up right there. That's so um, great. But and, this, and and my father, because you know, after the mimeograph machine came the copier, the actual digital copier, uh, and as pastors uh, oftentimes have done and continued to do has to be on the forefront of all emerging technologies to connect with uh, the congregation. And so I was folding bulletins fresh off the mimeograph, and then I was folding bulletins fresh off the copier. And we were in that copy Xerox, you know, portrayal thing. Um, there was there was That's no cutting Steve edge. Corral, That's cutting edge. Yeah, no, I was bored out of my mind <laughs> in that building. Um so, um, where was I? My mother, as the associate pastor, was also teaching church history at a Jesuit university. Hmm. This Protestant little country bumpkin grew up in a holler uh, near coal mine in the Appalachian Mountains is teaching at the University of Scranton uh, in the 80s, uh, early 90s. And it just blew my mind that there was uh, sections, large sections of God's church that did not recognize or validate her qualification, calling, enabling, equipping by the Holy Spirit of the Lord to teach 
grown adult men or women only up to a certain age. And that was always a, a weird thing. So, I mean, there's an apology that I need to make to anything I say uh, throughout this podcast that might be offensive, that might challenge your faith, that might challenge your understanding of who God is or how you have viewed or seen scripture, uh, or how you've been taught, the family you've grown up in, what mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, others have, have shared with you. Th- there is, a, there is, there certainly has been a debate there's certainly um, uh, something to be said about what we've written into our legal documentation and our governmental um, expression of, uh, of order and governance, um, you know, age, sex, gender, race, nationality, all of the things where we, we give equality to uh, and we're growing in that uh, ever more throughout the world. And not just in this country, not just in American Christianity, but uh, throughout the church. And I think there's a connection somewhere between how we view women in the church and how we have viewed the, viewed the gender differences in the roles in the family and within the life of government, the life, the life of economics, uh, and if we trace that arc a little bit, we can see some. Um, congruent lines there parallel lines um but yeah i so this started with me offering the apology um just because i know this is a a hot topic this is a really difficult topic for some but it's also um from from where i'm coming from in my perspective understanding education and you know between the three of us four of us uh, we've been educated most of our lives from kindergarten through seminary, uh, seminary again for Sarah and I, and then for Sarah and Larry, the, the doctoral work that you guys have, have put in uh, in academia for the last number of years, it's just mind-blowing the amount of time and effort uh, and focus that has been given to study of Scripture and the application thereof. Um, but it's past that then, to say that um, God would create half of his image, making men and women in his image, but only giving half of the image a voice, it doesn't land. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't compute. It does not make sense at all to me, just on a pure mathematical <laughs> evaluation and a character of who God is. Um, and that's that's one what's one little brick in in the uh, in the wall. Um, and in addition to that, you can see the evidence of God in the life and in the ministry of women and men. And you can not see it in the life and the ministry of some women and some men who are fulfilling or trying to fulfill the role in in ministry. Um, there's either there's either an anointing or a calling, or there isn't, um, and I think that we have witnessed to that uh, in Sarah, in uh, in the other women that we've mentioned here this today. There's just something about what God does through people and how we connect um, that I don't think we can engender it that way. And in in fact, you know, just maybe starting out with a word. Um, so I'm going to go to scripture as a start. It's Galatians 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. Just a couple verses. Um, so in Christ Jesus, 
you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. That's a big statement. Neither slave nor free. That's a big statement. Neither is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That, that text uh, is kind of, for me, a, a foundational text of understanding kind of the, the diversification or the unification of the human species, uh, male and female alike. It's, it's, we are clothed in Christ. We are under the authority of Christ, and the church is the bride of Christ. Um, but then, yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want to just be a Mike Hogg, so I'll stop. But um, well, I think what you're saying just there's, offering a little bit of my background. I, I think what you're saying there from Galatians is really important, and I think when we read that, we need to talk about what Paul isn't saying. He he's not saying that because of Christ we become genderless. Uh, he's actually pointing mm-hmm. out that the the differences are good because this is in the context of arguing about. Um, circumcision, you know, uh, about ju- uh, should Gentiles have to convert fully to Judaism? No, they can be Christian and still maintain this difference. So when we hearken back to Genesis 1, to um, the creation of human beings being very good, um, that what he's saying is the difference is irrelevant when it comes to mm-hmm. status in the church. There, there is difference and in the between, kingdom. Yes, there is difference yeah. between men and women, but that difference is irrelevant in light of Christ. Right, yeah. and it was the faith, and he was, you know, the verses prior to what I read was talking about the guardian was the law. The guardian is now Jesus. Jesus yeah. is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and that is where your hope is found. Your hope is found in faith in Christ. So as far as other, you know, maybe, maybe just kind of talking about some of the, the highlight scripture texts, examples of faith within the life of uh, Old and New Testaments, um, you know, obviously um, Deborah, a judge, uh, as look, being looked to, and a judge is a, is a, is a, a governance authority over all uh, the people. Um, there's something big there. Uh, God's use of Esther, of Ruth, um, uh, yeah, there's just, and, there's just well, and then of course there's there's plenty of New Testament examples as well. You know, I mean, even more. Think about well, I mean, let's just start at the beginning. Think about who the first preacher of the gospel was. That would be Mary. Yeah, right. Like she was legitimately the first person to ever bear verbal witness to the resurrection of Christ. And if or it was it Elizabeth? Her, well, that's also yeah, possible. Yeah, all the, all the way back. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, let, yeah. Let it be done to me according to your word, uh, and and then in the Magnificat. I mean, so I mean that. Sure. And, um, then take but it. Just to re- the. Yeah the the first the first preacher of the resurrection of Christ, right? You know the the good news of the resurrection that belongs yeah. to a woman. And right? I just but like, before the preaching of Mary, there was the Samaritan woman. Yep. Sorry, Larry. Who, you were going, who, but who there was ran, a lag. Who, 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 who runs and tells everyone about a man mm-hmm. who told me everything about myself. Um, yep. and, and that's really, that's the, um, that, that, there's a linchpin moment in Jesus' ministry to that point. It's a lot of uh, don't tell yet. 
Mm-hmm. But he lets her go, and she tells everyone. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, yeah. So then take it to the resurrection. I mean, and this is where I think men, we, we have to do some, some work uh, around this, around claiming, oh, we should be the preachers. Uh, or where, where are the disciples at on Easter morning? Hiding. Cowering. The, the women are the ones going to pray and to worship and to do what's necessary for the preparation of his body. And without They're, without those women going and proclaiming the good news of he has risen, we don't have Easter. We don't have the church. Yep. We get a bunch of stinky fishermen with their nets hanging off the side of the boat catching nothing. Yeah. That's P- what we have. Peter's saying, I'm going back to my old life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it wasn't for mm-hmm. Mary and Mary and Salome, um, that they preached the very first... Easter sermon. Yep. Yep. Well, and where's Lydia from? Lydia, the the purple cloth sales business owner. Lydia yeah. was Lystria. Yeah. And Ly- there there was a prayer meeting going on. And where's this? Is it kind of the the? I can't remember the geographic location. Uh, is it more close to India, uh, where it was on Paul's missionary journey? Uh, I don't have this story locked in. But Lydia was a business owner in the ancient world, first century, and she is converted. Oh, she was by Thi- Thyatira. Thyatira, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's converted, and then her there's a church started. She's leading the church in the ministry that goes on there. Yeah, um, and, I, and I love Romans. Go ahead. I think that, I think that's part of what. We misunderstand in our culture. We think that in the first century, women were completely this secondary class, but you have people like Lydia who are wealthy business owners, um, women of means, uh, whatever, that this is kind of a modern construct of, um, you you know, certainly there are pockets where women are second class citizens and considered property of their husbands and things like that. But there's also this this evidence of, of women who are who are leading and making a difference and owning their own business and, um, and, and making a difference. So you have Lydia, you have, uh, you have Priscilla that there's a really good, um, really good evidence of her pastoring. Um, and an interesting argument we were talking about offline before we came on that Priscilla is actually the author of the book of Hebrews. And that would really blow some minds. Um, wow. Yeah. Love blows my mind because there's never been a claim to the authorship of Hebrews. I mean, I was taught that it was Paul, uh, but there's, there's just no chance that Paul wrote Hebrews. <laughs> the language is not uh, right. Uh, Nympha in Colossians, uh, who was the leader of a house church. Mm-hmm. That's, that's another reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, the letter of Romans uh, was uh, uh, there, there was uh, Phoebe. That was mentioned mm-hmm. as That's right. uh, having borne that letter, which meant that she would have actually read the letter uh, to the congregation. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, you know, there are multiple, multiple, multiple examples in both the Old and New Testaments of women in leadership roles in the life uh, of God's Aquila people. And Aquila and Priscilla. Yeah, there's a married couple, Aquila and Priscilla, uh, and Paul inverts the names so that the female name uh, Priscilla comes before Aquila in, in Paul's writing to kind of give emphasis to the the woman over the man in the 
letter itself that says something. You know, this is part of the, the study and understanding of how, how we read Scripture. And I mean, more than once, there's Paul. When we first meet Aquila and Priscilla, uh, they're coming f- into the story. Uh, they come to Corinth from Italy. They're victims of Roman persecution. But Aquila was a Jew. Priscilla, she shouldn't be named. And yet Paul is naming her, which, which confuses us when we hear and read Paul saying, well, women should be silent. Women should not, uh, you know, they need to keep their heads covered. They need to uh, ask questions of their husbands. You know, so how do we wrestle with those other texts? So let's, let's go there. So we, we've talked about multiple examples of women leading and holding um, prestigious positions. So let's, um, let's talk about what in my estimation or kind of a minority view um, uh, of, of texts and talk about what maybe is really going on. So the, the first one I pulled up is first Corinthians 14, uh, in a section that most of our Bibles are subtitled a call to orderly worship. That's going to be important in this uh, conversation. And starting with verse 34, first Corinthians 14, 34, women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive just as the law says, if they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. Now, my friends in the more um, complementarian stream uh, that that would say that women uh, should not hold pastoral office, this is one of them that um, that they will go to. Uh, so let's have a conversation about that. What, what, what's going on here? Is, is Paul saying uh, women should not speak or teach in the church, and that should be the end of it, and we're stepping outside of Scripture? Uh, or is there something else going on here, something something more than what we think? So N.T. Wright had a really great uh, article that addresses a lot of these kind of hot-button passages that have been uh, debated over the years in relation to women's roles in the church. And I'll go ahead and link that in the episode description. Um, but one of the things that he lifts up is that it was likely customary uh, that when church meetings happened, men would sit on one side and women would sit on the other. And, and this tradition has continued in, in various Christian traditions across the centuries. Um, but uh, oftentimes the message would be delivered in Arabic, uh, which was... A, a language that a lot of the men would understand, um, but the women would likely have been speaking mostly in the local dialect. And so uh, you had this language barrier oftentimes in these meetings of the early church where uh, the women would be sitting there maybe having trouble understanding what was being said and either asking questions or talking amongst one another uh, you know, to try to grasp the message Uh, which may have been disruptive in the church meetings. And so N.T. Wright's position is, you know, Paul telling the women to be silent may have had more to do with an issue such as that nature, especially considering just a few chapters earlier, he's talking about uh, men and women praying and prophesying in that passage Gabe mentioned about having your head covered or uncovered in worship. And that's a whole other passage that we could kind of dive into and its meaning and significance. But um, just suffice to say for now in that passage, Paul references men and women praying and prophesying in meetings. And so it's not that 
this is a blanket prohibition from the Apostle Paul that women must not speak in church. And I challenge you to find me any church in existence, regardless of their view of women, that does not allow women to speak at all. Yeah. Right? So nobody <laughs> nobody takes that literally, right? Um, so then it, it's really a question of you really have to, to consider the cultural context Paul is writing into here in the specific situation in the church he was addressing uh, when he wrote those words. And you got to do the spade work because, you know, that's, that's oftentimes the thing about biblical interpretation. If you really dig into what the, the cultural context of the author was, the situation they were writing into, um, you know, it's, it's going to take on a whole different meaning. And it's the same with any written work from today as well. Right, you know, I mean, uh, works, uh, words take on different meanings depending on the the situation. So, hot, hot right. dang boy, you sound like you went to Asbury Seminary. <laughs> oh, and, hey now, in hey my now. in my best Ben Witherington, hey, Dubuque is reputable. In, in my best Ben Witherington the third voice, a, a text without a context is a pretext for whatever you want it to mean. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so I, context is important. Um, so uh, another one of the uh, the passages that complementarian folks will uh, will go to, or people uh, truly, I mean, uh, people in that that want to point out, um, you know, the the patriarchal nature of of scripture will go to is First uh, Timothy uh, two. Um, where it's a little bit longer, verses 9 through uh, 15. Let's see, uh, Mr. Adam from Dubuque, if you can uh, give us some context uh, on this one. Uh, Paul says this to young, young Timothy, And I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Uh, that one's a little more... Um, of a challenging passage than the the first Corinthians one, no? <laughs> Absolutely. So thanks for putting me in the hot seat, Larry. Really appreciate that. <laughs> it's just like, it's just like the board of ordained ministry all over again, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so again, cultural context here, um, and I'm going to go back to write, which again we'll we'll link that uh, article in the show notes here. Uh, lifts up that while uh, Timothy wrote this, he was likely in Ephesus, uh, which the Paul largest... wrote it to Timothy. Or, or I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, I misspoke. Um, yeah, so so when Paul wrote this to Timothy, he was in Ephesus. Biggest temple in Ephesus was uh, likely the the temple of Artemis, which uh, in Greek is Diana, aka Wonder Woman, um, and. <laughs> uh, <laughs> was a temple to a female goddess, um, and all of the priests at the Temple of Artemis were women, um, and they really ran the show there and and kept the men in their place in that cultural context. Okay, so 
there was, again, kind of this um, power struggle, uh, which was the reverse power struggle uh, that was most places, which, of course, in a patriarchal society, you had men more or less lording it over women. Uh, but here you had women lording it over men. Um, so- and so, you know, Wright's question is, how can this be constructive, this writing of Paul in his letter to Timothy, be constructive to the whole church, both men and women, right? So how can we read this in a constructive light um, that does not resort to this lording it over one another because of our gender? And that's kind of his operative question in his writing. Were you going to say something, Larry? Yeah, I just think it's fascinating when you talk about that, um, you know, lording it over them, the, 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 the pagan religion that existed in Ephesus, the, the temple cult was entirely female. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of the all of the priests and religious leaders were female. So if you're creating this new religious movement, there has to be a little bit of a, um, of a shift in that. Uh, and I'm not sure which yeah. N.T. Wright article you're looking at, but in one of them, uh, he tries to come up with what he thinks is a better translation of that passage. Yes, yes. Uh, and, 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 I, and I think that's that's probably a little more helpful. Uh, but again, it's all about context when we're talking about what's going on in Corinth, what's going on in Ephesus. Um, and I remember like Bible study 101 in undergrad, uh, we talked about the first thing we have to do is grasp the text in their town. That was the language we, we used. Uh, and then we had to measure the width of the river to cross. What are the cultural differences? Mm-hmm. And, we, and then we have to find a way to bridge that gap before we can interpret it in our time. So we're taking things out of context and trying to apply them to our time mm-hmm. in a way that just doesn't make sense. Yes. To where we were committing that sin that Ben Witherington talks about, a text without a context is a pretext for whatever you want it to mean. Yeah. So, and, and that's what really the value is in looking at these cultural uh, trends that were happening that continue to happen right now, right? Because it's, that's exactly what we're seeing uh, right now, not just with the status and role of women in society, but with anything, right? If we're trying to correct something, um, oftentimes the way we correct it is to take the pendulum and swing it in the exact opposite direction, 180 degrees, um, when really what is good and right and true is somewhere in the middle. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that's what we see in Paul's instruction, even in his, his letter to Timothy here, um, about the the role of women in, in the church. And I like how N.T. Wright uh, translates it because when he talks about women learning in quiet submission, um, that is, let me pull up the scripture here. Um, so that's verse 11. A, a, a woman should learn in quietness and in full submission. Um, this is not necessarily referring to, to quietness and full submission to men. It's the quietness and full submission that we should all be learning in before God. Boom. And that's that's N.T. Wright's trans, uh, reading of that verse, okay? And then the very following verse, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man, uh, is, is, again, don't resort to these 
power struggles between genders, right, um, that so often happen when either men try to lord it over women or women try to lord it over men. Um, don't try to swing the pendulum too far in either direction, but really allow one another the freedom to learn in, in quietness and full submission to Christ. Um, and so this, I'm going to go ahead and read his translation that uh, Larry mentioned here. Okay, so with that in mind, here's, here's how N.T. Wright would translate this, this passage. Uh, so this is what I want. The men should pray in every place, lifting up holy hands. And this is, I'm sorry, let me, let me go ahead and get the, the citation here. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through, uh, I'll read through uh, just 11 and 12. Um, the men should pray in every place, lifting up holy hands with no anger or disputing. In the same way, women too should clothe themselves in an appropriate manner, modestly and sensibly. I'm sorry, I started at 8. Uh, they should not go uh, in for elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Instead, as is appropriate for a woman who profess or for women who have professed to be godly, they should adorn themselves with good works. So again, he's he's giving these um, these commands to both men and women to lead godly lives. Right? Yeah. He is he isn't being inequitable uh, in his commandments here, but basically conduct your lives in a way. Uh, that that conveys godliness. Um, they must be allowed to study undisturbed in full submission to God. That's how he translates verse 11. I'm not saying that women should teach men or try to dictate to them they should be left undisturbed. Okay? So that's how, that's how N.T. Wright uh, translates those, those verses. Essentially, um, instead of trying to lord it over one another as the battle of the sexes, Let's all learn in quietness and full submission to God. So again, that's so cultural good. context and uh, you know a, a different reading of the text that is charitable to both men and women for the benefit of the whole body. Um, Come on, you know, yeah. So I really like it. That's that's so good. I mean, and that's that's been a part of our Wesleyan movement. Whether uh, like you guys are um, in the United Methodist Church, I'm in an independent Wesleyan-minded church. Um, I mean, as early as 1761, John Wesley is giving um, women licenses to preach. Sarah Crosby was the first one that um, he gave that uh, he gave that license to, um, and it had to have been instilled with him, in him by his mother, uh, Susanna, who by all accounts uh, was the better Christian leader than her husband. Um, for for a good amount of time, he's off uh, in London, and she's uh, they have an interim pastor, so to speak, uh, at the church, and nobody is showing up to worship. But Susanna's holding a Sunday school class in their kitchen, and she has more people coming to their kitchen than are going over to worship uh, at the at the church. And um, so, so John, that had to have informed John's like, of course, women. Um, could lead. Um, and then in 1786, uh, in a sermon about visiting the sick, he goes against these passages that talk about submissiveness in women. Um, so not just in in ministry, but you know some of the, the things that are uh, used about marriage, whatever. And he wrote this, it is long past for a maxim with many that women are only to be seen, but not heard. 
and accordingly many of them are brought up in such a manner as if they were only designed for agreeable playthings. No, it is the deepest unkindness, it is horrid cruelty, it is barbarity, and I know not how any women of sense and spirit can submit to it. Uh, and as he uh, starts writing um, books of worship for North America as the Methodist Episcopal Church is founded, uh, in 1784, he removes the word obey uh, from the marriage vows, uh, pointing again to that contextual reality of mutual submission. Um, and, and we've not always done that perfectly, so don't hear me attacking Southern Baptists um, and lifting us up because after Wesley's death, there's all these splits that happen in Methodism and some of the Methodist denominations don't continue um, this practice. Uh, the Methodist church uh, didn't formally give full ordination rights to women until 1956, um, you know, just a little over a decade before the United Methodist Church was, was founded. And we still have work to do. Uh, it was just... Um, I, I think five years ago at the last Free Methodist General Conference that the first woman was uh, elected as a bishop um, in in the Free Methodist Church. So there's all these pockets of advancement, and, but there's there's still so much um, to be done and places to go. And uh, I know I've also had a front row seat to the challenges of uh, my female clergy colleagues, the things that they experience that I don't have to. Um, and yeah. Culturally. Yeah. Culturally yeah, and walk. So, wa so the very first appointment I had, um, they, they had had um, two bad pastors who happened to be women. Uh, and it took me six years to convince them that they didn't have bad pastors because they were women. They just had bad pastors who happened to be women. Um, but the night of my take-in, uh, and, you know, there, there's this all this secrecy around who's coming and whatnot – uh, Brittany and I were engaged, and the superintendent insisted on Brittany coming to the meeting because we were just going to be getting married in a few short months. He met with the staff parish committee first, um, and as we came in, I heard him say, I want you to meet your new pastor, and Brittany walked in the room first. <laughs> and I saw people start folding up their papers and getting ready to leave. Oh, no. To where if wow. she would have been the one, they would not have even given her a chance based on her gender. But as soon as I started to speak, man, they were happy. Mm. They wanted a young pastor. They wanted a young male mm -hmm. pastor. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, and you know, and mm -hmm. that, you know, we worked really hard on that when we'd have special services and you know, we did Sunday night Lenten services. I went very heavily after women preachers uh, in those. I wanted them to to see the best women preachers um, that that they that they could. Um, but that, that was one of those first moments of me going, there's a whole different struggle that women have to face um, in that. And I think that's part of what I love about the three of us having this conversation. Um, women don't need our permission to, to preach, uh, but I have heard Sarah say they do need our championing, um, that, that we need to be champions and we need to be supportive uh, and vocal um, about this and not let them fight alone. Um, and yep. I think that's, no. that's part of what, no. we're, what we're trying to do in having this conversation. So uh, I think we're going to end the, in this way. We're going to end like, uh, like Letterman style with some, some top 10 uh, uh, things. Um, so these are the top 10 things that uh, Larry has learned 
living in Southwest Florida. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Number 10. No one who lives here is actually from here. They're all just like me. <laughs> they're they're from they're from the Midwest or they're from New York. You would not believe how many people are here from Brooklyn. And they're Northerners <laughs> who got tired of the cold. Yes, but then all the people who are actually from here are currently in the Midwest because it is uh, cooler there, even though you all are experiencing a heat wave as well. Number nine. That's so funny. Grass is always greener, huh? That's right. <laughs> Number nine. There are rabbits everywhere. And I did not expect to see rabbits everywhere. Hmm. Uh, I thought they would no be... No natural predators. Uh, I mean, alligators. Iguanas. Yeah. Iguanas. <laughs> you know, I actually learned something fascinating. Apparently, there is a giant virus uh, that wipes out half of the rabbit population every year, and that's why our Earth is not overrun with rabbits. Huh. Did you know that? My backyard is overrun Viruses. by them. Oh boy. <laughs> well, rabbits maybe stew. the virus maybe the virus hasn't taken hold like it should have. Who knows? <laughs> okay, we don't need to get into viruses. Number eight, <laughs> frogs are stubborn creatures. Uh, they, they, <laughs> they come out every night and attach to my back patio window, and we're we're digging the pool right now, and eventually that's going to be screened in, and I want them gone. And they just keep coming back, no matter what I do to traumatize them. And no, I'm not being cruel. <laughs> they just keep coming back. Well, uh, you traumatized your uh, front door camera. Oh, you didn't have to go there. To that was the <laughs> best video ever. <laughs> there was a frog on our front porch, and I was trying to get him out of there so he didn't hop in the house before carried in groceries. And I had a broom, and I was kind of sweeping him out. And I knocked our video doorbell off. Um, and you would not believe how redneck it looks now. Uh, because it ripped the screws right out of the stucco. Uh, so it's command stripped to the house now. Um, love it. Somebody could just come up and take it. You know, that's, that's all there is to it. Number seven, attack of the salamanders. These things are everywhere. Everywhere you walk, there's a salamander scurrying in front of you. I knew they would be here. I did not know there would be this many of them. Lizard, lizard. Inclu- lizard, lizard. Including the first night we were in the house um, when my daughter Sayla comes running out of the bedroom screaming that there was a lizard in their bedroom and uh, Gabe moved it outside. Um, <laughs> and they're just, they're everywhere. I'm looking out my office window right now and one, two, I count three. Wow. Um, and they run under our office What about door. the one under your desk? Don't you see the one under your desk? No, I'm not looking. <laughs> Number six. They're quick, too. They're very quick. Number six, I miss soft grass. Aww. The grass here is different. It's mm-hmm. different. One is it of, more like crabgrass? Yes, it's very yeah. stiff and crunchy, even mm. when it's well watered. <laughs> um, one of our pastors uh, is from Kentucky, and uh, he was visiting recently, and his wife posted a video of him and his kids laying and making grass angels in the Kentucky bluegrass. <laughs> uh, so they, they miss it as well. Number five, there are these little ants everywhere. Like, mm. right now, running across my computer screen, there are these tiny little ants. And Really? They're everywhere. Inside? Inside. They're everywhere. I don't have oh. them at home, but they are definitely at the church. Um, oh, my. They don't seem to bother anything. They're just there, and there's nothing they would want on my desk, but they're here. 
Number four, a good one, fruit is on another level. I'm so jealous. Oh, my gosh. The fresh produce is out of this world. We've been eating so much pineapple. It, oh. It's not even funny. Number three, 90-degree Gulf water can indeed cool you down. That was, that was a surprising <laughs> one for us. When it just happens to be that hot outside, 90 degrees feels wonderful. Number but two, as of today, it is apparently 101 degrees. That's what they're saying, and it may be the hottest uh, water ever recorded. That was down in the in uh, just south of Key West, though, so um, mm-hmm. we're a little cooler than that here. Um, number two, this is the one that irritates me the most about living in southwest Florida. People believe that using a turn signal will cause them to burst into flames. Uh, <laughs> having th- just went to Disney, I can confirm that one. <laughs> no one. And if you use a turn signal to say, hey, I'm getting ready to switch lanes. They will accelerate. I like, <laughs> don't care. Your hand will not fall off if you touch that. Um, so if I'm if I'm garnering any any new listeners from Grace Church in Southwest Florida, use your stinking blinkers. <laughs> it's what God gave them to you for. And number one, it's so freaking hot. Hey. I knew it was going to be hot, but holy! Hey, you can't hear my violin, smokes. can you? Holy! Can't hear it. Smokes. Playing the violin with my thumb and my index finger. Using your turn signal may not cause you to burst into flames, but going into your backyard might. <laughs> so. Hey, uh, one other thing. Uh, we want to plug the Holy Land trip again, March 3rd through the 12th of 2024. Adam put the link there. Uh, it's like 42, a little over $4,200. Uh, we've got uh, 20-something people signed up to go uh, right now, and we would love for you uh, to join us, whether you're from the Midwest uh, listening to us or Southwest Florida or somewhere in between. Uh, come and join us. Hey, that's all the time we have for today. Next month, we're going to be joined by my friend and new colleague, Pastor Wes Olds. Uh, He just wrote a book called Confronting the Thief Within, uh, and it's an incredible book. You don't want to miss this conversation um, that is spiritual and pastoral and psychological all at the same time. Uh, So that'll be next month. Until then, thanks for joining us on Midnight Theology. And to all the women out there feeling a call to preach or lead, preach. Do it. We need you. We love you. We see you. Preach.